Welcome to Lavish Hope Season 4. I'm your host, Liz Testa. In this new season, I'm joined by Rev. Kate Meyer, an ordained minister and licensed professional counselor and hospice chaplain in West Michigan. She's passionate about bringing grief into the light so that all grievers know how to move forward in a healthy, life-giving way. Rev. Kate is also an author whose latest book, Faith Doesn't Erase Grief, launched in the summer of 2022. In this episode, Rev. Kate joins me to talk about hope, resilience, and overcoming, especially around navigating grief in today's complex world. She offers inspiring stories, tips, and practical insights to help us all embrace the process. Let's jump in. Welcome to Season 4 of Lavish Hope. I'm your host, Liz Testa, and I'm so excited to be here with my good friend and colleague, Reverend Kate Meyer. Kate, welcome. Thank you, Liz. I am excited to be here. Yes, and you know, we've been friends and colleagues these past years, and recently, I think uh, God has been doing uh, some similar work between the two of us, given uh, this podcast Lavish Hope, Stories of Resilience and Overcoming, and your brand new book that has just been published this summer called Faith Doesn't Erase Grief, Embracing the Experience and Finding Hope. I just love that. So, um, yeah, so we're both about hope, right? (laughs) Yes, always, always about hope. Great, great. Yes. So, Kate, can you just tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, where you are, um, and then we'll get started on our question. Yeah. Yeah. So, I am a hospice bereavement counselor and chaplain. I've been in medical chaplaincy since graduating from seminary and then uh, tacked on a license in professional counseling in Michigan. I have found that my work as a bereavement counselor was this beautiful and kind of um, at long last merging of these two degrees that God said I had to get, but I didn't know why. (laughs) I, you know, I I fought against seminary. I didn't want to go to seminary because I didn't know why I was or where I was going. And so it's fun to, to see how these roads have happened and to now be in this place where It's all come together. And I see why both degrees were needed. And, um, you know, along the way, I have come to know myself a lot better and see how all of this blends into a calling that I never could have dreamt. Mm, That's so beautiful. I just think about that Jeremiah 29 and 11, right? For surely I know the plans I have for you. And we like to think that that just is for an individual person, but actually that was the whole people Israel that God was speaking yes. to, right? That the, that, yeah. that, that, that the prophet was interpreting. And so thinking about how the work of one blesses many, right? That it's part of this work in community. And so I'm just thinking, Kate, you know, we're coming out of pandemic it's still around. COVID's around. We've got other illnesses now that are lurking as well. I can just imagine that your sense of purpose has been even accelerated, perhaps, in this last season. Absolutely. COVID has raised grief 
more to the forefront than I think it has been in a lot of years. So many people grieving simultaneously. And then the secondary grievers who are grieving because there's so much death around them, even if they've not been personally touched by the death of someone. And and just the complications of have, you know, the the sheer volume of people who died from COVID, but also the people who died during COVID and yet not from it. And some of those griefs that have been um, kind of lost in the shuffle or not seen as much. And so we just have this, this large and vast group of people who are trying to grieve and trying to continue to live and then having these non-death griefs that we all experience together too when our world shut down and we had to learn how to live together differently and communicate with each other differently. Uh, so yeah, there. when I was sitting down to write Faith as a New Race Grief, it was amidst this awareness and almost this, um, almost an anxiety of sorts to just get it out there, feeling like people are, are grieving at a, a higher rate and in a way that's unavoidable at this point in time because there's so much, it's so pervasive that we have to know how to do this and we need to do it better. Mm-hmm. And how do you think that, how do you think that related into like the church? So like the past church, the present church, the future church, how does, how does that impact like that, that system of church? Do you think? So the book itself, the concept for it, um, why it felt so important to me is because I continued to see, and today continue to see, grievers who identify as Christian who whisper their grief to me because they feel shame for it. Mm. And so I think like a lot of things in the in the church, capital C Church, uh, it it has ebbed and flowed throughout the history of the church, where um, you know a season of of wearing black or the armband, or um, and and obviously there are places and there are cultures where those things still remain, and yet in a lot of ways, I I think that the church today, in general generally speaking, doesn't do a great job of creating space. We we have the funerals, which is another thing COVID stole, uh, I think, for many, many, many people. At, at bare minimum, it delayed it. Um, but in a lot of ways, that was stolen. Mm-hmm. And we, we maybe give people funerals, but now we call them things like memorials or celebrations of life. And while there's a lot of beauty in that, a lot can be lost in those things too, where if we can't call it a funeral and we don't give it a, give people a space to, to mourn, that's an impaired way to kick off their journey with grief. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and then, and then the, I think the church 
kind of falls into this societal pattern too of, okay, it's been a month. The meals are done. The cards are done. The, the constant checking in is done and slowly but surely everybody reverts to their daily life. And there's suddenly questions of how come we haven't seen you in church in a long time? Why are you crying? What's the matter? And, and there's, there's not room for where is your faith in the midst of this grief? How is your faith holding up? Are you struggling? Are there challenges? Um, yeah, so I, I began to see it in such a, in such a deep, pervasive way that too many people who identify as Christian were kind of being silenced in their grief. Mm -hmm. And it was heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important just, you know, that we're also in the age of technology. I mean, there's so many layers of where people are sort of becoming separated from themselves and from their communities of origin, where those rituals were customary. And so I just love that you're providing some framework for people to be able to travel in a healthy way, um, in a God-honoring and self-honoring way. Right. Sounds yeah. sounds like um, something that the church needs now more than yeah. ever. <laughs> so let me ask you, Kate, a question I love to kick off my interviews with is, what does resilience mean to you, and how has it been shaped by your past and maybe changed or deepened and been changed or deepened um, by your experiences? Resilience to me is being able to keep going when there are continual barriers, roots in the ground that trip you up, uh, setbacks. Voices that say no, voices that say you are not deserving or worthy or qualified or you are not original enough to speak into what's happening. Um, to me, resilience is, is being able to say, despite all of those things, I'm going to cling to who I know God created me to be and to focus on living into that, regardless of what the other voices say, regardless of what the other, uh, yeah, opinions are that or barriers that that come to. So for me, this road of becoming an author has been—I I don't even like that word—not uh, becoming, but claiming, claiming. I like that better. Um, claiming my call and role as author i think is a really great image of how resiliency has applies within my life to the other areas of my life as well you know um i i'm also the author of a fiction novel called the red couch and that process was really long i mean like more than 10 years um from the time i started writing to the time i published and the reason for that is nothing other than fear. I would start to write, would get into it. And then the fear of what will other people think? Is this a story worth telling? Uh, am I qualified? You know, all of those voices would keep me 
from pursuing it. And so the then the domino effect would be, well, if I'm not going to publish it, then I might as well stop writing it. So I would start and stop, start and stop, start and stop. And what happened is I felt this weight from the spirit saying, you have to write Faith Doesn't Erase Grief. You can't put that off anymore. It had kind of been simmering. And so that's when I said, I have to get the red couch out there. If I put it off any longer, it's it's never going to get out there. And it was done at this point. It had been done for a good year. I, yeah, I just sat wow. with it in, in a drawer, essentially. <laughs> my goodness. Um, I mean, I'm a, you know, on a flash drive there, it's that done. And uh, so I said, this is it. You have to do it because that's what clears the space to write this mm. next book. So to me, resiliency is even with all those fits and stops, it was knowing that pull inside saying, you have to write this. This isn't, you're not doing this. Don't, don't worry about the other people do this because this is something you feel the need to do. And so over all those years doing it and um, dealing with the rejection emails and dealing with all the like, no, we don't. There's not value in this. We don't see the story or change the story, do it differently. I think resiliency is about, I see it now as about being able to continue to cling to who God created me to be without giving in to what other people say and recognizing that that is always changing as Mm -hmm. I get to know myself more. Then I get to see more more clearly the depths and the layers of, of who God is calling me to be as that continues to grow and change as well. That's a good word. That's a good word because I think so many people, they just think it's kind of a one and done, right? Because it's such a haul to get to the done the first time, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. here I am. But just that grace, right, of being able to create space that it's it's an ing right that it's an ing that yeah. it's an it's an ongoing ever unfolding journey yes and that also the adaptability you're saying something here that resonates for me around being adaptable to circumstances yeah it'll just help help with that sense of you know it's going to keep unfolding and you have to adapt to what comes mm-hmm. that what perhaps worked back then for this new season is going to have to take form in a different way. Yeah. And so part of that process for me in a different area of my life um, included coming to acceptance. I found that I continued to fight against a reality. Um, and the more I worked towards acceptance and when I finally got there, that this this is what is right now. And God may change it someday, but you know, to this point, regardless of daily prayers and all of these things, this isn't being changed. So I I need to accept what is. And the moment I did that is when I was able to adapt, is when I was able to make that shift and say, okay, so who am I in this moment with this reality that isn't going away um and how do i how do i 
adapt to that? How do I shift my understanding of self, my understanding of God, my understanding of my calling, knowing that this just is the way that it is. And right now, it's not changing. Would you say that that is where you find resilience when you don't have it? Or is there is that something different for you? I find resilience in the darkest moments. I find resilience looking back and saying, the last time I was in this place, I made it through. And so I'm going to trust that I can do that again. So for me, it's just this part of the resiliency is looking back and saying, I've been carried through, I've pushed through, I can do that again. I will, the strength will come when I need it to come. And so part of it too for me is, is trying to be in the moment and know that I don't have to force it. Hmm. It will come when it needs to. That's so tricky, I think, for people, especially in our Western society. I mean, you know, for us here on the East Coast in the New York City area, right, we say in the New York minute. Um, But it's like, you know, my first career was in show business, so it's like louder, faster, funnier. But it's like, you know, everything's like, you know, you needed to have it yesterday. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's one of the jokes about, you know, like, what's the by when? Yesterday. Um, but but just thinking about, you know, how do we kind of build in that as a practice, right? Uh, and, and seeing the value that that's actually when you're thinking about resilience and overcoming, that's an important foundation for that, to create space for that, to not get stuck. Right, right. Yes. Yeah, I, I think there is, I've been stuck. I've been stuck before. And so learning to to say, well, this, this stuckness in this darkness, I can't thrive at all here. This isn't, this isn't serving me. This isn't serving my family. This isn't serving my community. I'm not myself here. I would like to stay here because then I don't have to face all of the realities but I can't. And so unsticking myself, uh, you know, looking for the smallest pinprick of light to head towards, to cling to, is that resiliency to say, I, I can do it again. I've done it before, so I'll do it again. You know, I'm thinking some of our listeners, um, might be wondering, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Like, what are the practical, like, do you have any tips for somebody that just hasn't had this opportunity? And certainly, I mean, you've got had a lot of training, obviously, and, and are very learned in, in, you know, strategies for how to do this. But would you have like a tip or two that you could share with our listeners of like, how do you actually practically find that light? Or how do you create that space? My most transformative moment for this was uh, I several periods in my life, I have said, I'm done praying. I can't right now. I've, 
I've hit a wall. I like it, it appears God's not listening to me anyway, so I'm just not doing it. So my first step in that was I gathered a community of people who could be in prayer even when I couldn't be. So knowing that there were still people praying for outcomes that, you know, I don't know what God might do with when I couldn't. And so that was my first step was knowing that I don't think prayer is futile. It's just that I'm angry, so I can't right now. Um, My second thing was what I call taking God to the mat of just being real, Uh, you know, being just very much calling God out and saying, I feel this way because these are the promises I read in scripture. And this is the reality. And those two things aren't merging. And so I'm hurt and I'm angry and I, I feel abandoned. And so uh, I'm just going to pour it all out. And those two things, those two steps, having that community who can, Pray the raw when I can't mm-hmm. and being able to feeling the freedom, the ability was always there, but feeling the freedom to pour it all out transparently and in its most raw form to God, not in this pious way, but just in a really gritty here it all is, show up and do something with it, right? Kind of this demand that God do. Um, those those were life-changing for me as far as resiliency and being able to come out because when I could truly pour that out before God, that's when I was able to feel God again. So in my inability to pray, I really was putting up this wall and not able to see or feel God anywhere. Um, And so being able to take those moments where I just put it all out there allowed me then to, again, begin to see God, if not in the way that I was wanting to, at least other ways. And then the light would slowly come and I would feel the spirit return and feel connection again. And that would allow me to continue to move forward. That's so, there's something so beautiful about that healing. And I just wonder, I'm just listening to you. And what's coming up for me is I think that there's a lot of folks who like they were taught that God uh, can be a punishing God and that God, uh, that there, that there is a reason to, to fear that God won't love you or God won't won't be with you. God will forsake you, even, even though we know in Scripture that's not true. But there's still a lot of folks that carry that around, that if you do push back, you do take God to the mat, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, always, yeah. I call it like wrestling. I'm like, Jacob, yes. I'm going to get my blessing. Yes. yes. But like that that's, you know, and I know when I, you know, sit with folks that are in, you know, going through some things, whatever it might be, I always say, you know, God can take it. God can hold all our anger, all our frustration. Um, you know, you got to try to keep your heart soft as you can. You got to try to stay humble. But even if you're not, God can hold that. 
And it sounds like that's something that you're inviting people to consider, that that is indeed possible and that you don't have to feel badly for that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, God, God doesn't go anywhere when we do those things. I think, in fact, that's when more of um, the clay chips away, right? Where, because if we're not being that real with God, we're not being that real with ourselves. And if we can't be that real with ourselves, then we're not going to continue uh, to be shaped. If And, you know, if we're talking about the potter and clay image with God as the potter, it's, it's not, it's not like we're these beings that are just done. You know, there's, there's more, there's always something that we're growing into becoming transforming as we work through foundation shaking things in our lives. So, yeah, I think we need to be uh, raw and real and just know and trust that God doesn't go anywhere when we do that. And the biggest, my biggest argument for that is if we are created beings, if we're going to start with that foundation, that we have been created by God, then our emotions are implanted in us. God, God gave these emotions to us. God knows what these emotions are and they, they aren't positive. They aren't negative. Emotions are neutral. They're just realities within us that help us understand what we're experiencing and what's going on around us. And so we have to be able to express them fully. And, you know, I don't know. One of the ways I look at it is if God, created us and gave us these emotions why would god ever ask us not to share them even even in our conversations with god i think that's how we're most transparent and real <laughs> it's not the word i wanted but it gets at the point well there's a thing around the authenticity of it right and i think i love that you do spend time in your book talking about emotions and i think there's also Right, we we had mentioned this bef- bef- when we were chatting before the interview began of the importance of context and of culture where emotions are concerned. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I think in Western culture, especially that comes from a Northern European Protestant, you know, Christian culture, there's this kind of lockdown on emotions, mm-hmm. and and also there's also sometimes gender implications too. So like as a woman. And then if you happen to be Latin or Mediterranean, right, then there's extra, right, of like having too much emotion. And I mean, we do want to mediate it to some degree. But, um, you know, there's lots of global culture where this kind of expressive, especially where it comes to grieving the 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 wailing women right the 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 western wall in jerusalem it's called the 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 wailing wall for a reason because that's what that's what you know people of the jewish tradition do when they go they wail they cry they daven they you know they go back and forth um you know kind of lean back and forth as they're praying and sort of finding a place where it's okay to express those emotions and seeing that as part of the process and being godly right right and I love yeah. that you're inviting people to really think about what that means. I mean, we don't want to stereotype and we don't want to lock people into any kind of box around how they're supposed to be feeling or what their emotions are to be. Right. In the same breath that we're wanting to invite them into the the converse of that, which is to 
consider what it is. And and I think there's a whole lot of folks, especially in North America, who don't know what their emotions are, who are who are fearful yeah. of them. Is yeah. that what you found as you were? Yeah, I mean, starting, I I to write. Yeah, I think people grievers in particular have this idea of what they quote unquote should be feeling. Um, and so a lot of my, my work with clients is to say, it's not, don't, it's not about manufacturing a certain emotion at a certain time. It's about letting your emotions be what they are in the moment and not stuffing them and not avoiding them. Um, you know, if grief amplifies what's already true about ourselves. So if you are a person who cries at Hallmark movies and, um, you know, seasonal commercials, you're going to be a crier in grief. So just accept that, stack your water, get your cleaning. If you are not naturally a crier, if you don't just haven't throughout your life been a crier, you're probably not going to cry much, if at all, in grief. That's okay. Because you have found throughout your life, very likely, other avenues of dispelling your emotions. And so it's not about following a pattern. There isn't a pattern. Grief doesn't have one. It's about noticing and honoring and releasing what you naturally feel in your grief and and in life in general. That is so, like, what a beautiful, it's not like a tip or a tool, it's like permission giving. You know, it's a beautiful offering for folks to just be able to consider that. Thanks for that, Kate. I'm wondering, where is a place that you find hope? I find hope in the continuing. So... I have people, especially since the grief book came out, how do you do that? How do you talk to grievers all the time? Isn't that depressing? (laughs) Um, Absolutely, there are stories that I sit in that I do struggle to take, you know, to not take home and, and all of that. The hope for me is in the transformation that I witness with everybody. As, as I walk alongside of them, and see how they come to relocate the person in their life as they come to discover a new layer of relationship with God, as they learn what it is to have a continued relationship with the person who has died, as they find their new role and their new identity after this person's death. Hope for me is the thing that sustains us. It's the cushion that sustains us. It doesn't remove any of the pain, any of the struggle, any of the challenge. It keeps us afloat amidst it. That's what hope is. So anytime I'm in a challenging spot of life and feel that peace that passes understanding, that to me is hope, that I'm I'm, I'm on this cushion of hope that's letting me keep my head above water and look out 
trusting that somehow I'll get to the next thing. I will make it through this this moment, whatever this moment might be. So beautiful, that image. I'm just thinking of that image of just sort of like there you are on this water, this body of water that seems like it's got no you know, no end in sight or there's no shore in sight. And there you are on this cushion that's just buoying you along and you know you're safe. Mm-hmm. Um, things can still be difficult, but you've got this sense that things are going to work out. Uh, that's really a powerful image. So then um, do you have a favorite verse or quote that inspires you to embrace hope and be resilient? I have tried to pull, I'm terrible, so as an author, people always ask, what do you read? What's your favorite book? I'm terrible at that. (laughs) I'm terrible at um, what are quotes that capture what hope means for you. Um, And so hope in the things we cannot see is what it comes down to for me. Um, Yeah. Well, I, so not to cut you off, but just to sort of <laughs> help you out a little bit, you know, so in your book, of course, this is a podcast, so I'm I'm standing here showing you your book <laughs> because we're recording this via Zoom, so we see each other. But, um, but uh, just to say for those who haven't had a chance to get the book, I mean, really do yourself a favor and get it, but... Um, but there's these pages that have quotes that I'm assuming are yours. Mm-hmm. And so I'm th- I just want to read a couple because I think they're beautiful. Um, Grief does not go away simply because your faith is a central component of your life. Yeah. I think that is that is life giving right there. That just your faith is not going to expunge grief like your faith will help you work through it right right so i love that and then i love this one doubt can be an essential part of faith i'm going to say that again and then i'm going to ask you to say something about what you mean by that doubt can be an essential part of faith and we know in scripture it talks about you know when you're doubting and such and we uh, we talk about the doubting thomas right um but can you say a little bit about how you interpret that yeah doubt being an essential part of faith yeah you know the faith life our relationship with god is as filled with hills and valleys as any other relationship we have and that includes moments where we start to wonder, can this all be true? Is this all real? If, especially when we have situations where, like I was talking about before, where what we read in scripture, where these promises of scripture are not matching our understanding of what's happening. And yes, God's perspective is 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 broader and bigger. And yet here we are as the humans living on this earth, unable to see that. And so for, for our limited human sight, it simply is a way that God's word and my life don't match up. So that can lead to conflict, which often includes doubt. Another piece of that specifically related to grief though, is that, uh, 
you know, we all know kind of in this abstract way, one day, yes, we're going to die. And so we know that in our brain. When you're confronted with it, though, it, uh, it causes you to really think about what do I believe? What do I believe about death? What do I believe about what comes next? And do I truly believe it? Or is it something that I have simply continued to recite and live into? Um, and, you know, we have to explore doubt. The only way we get to the other side of doubt is, again, to face it and work through it. So I think it is essential. Yeah, so good. Thanks for that. I'll also say, I'll just commend people to when they get the book to take a look at the emotions chapter because you do uh, refer to some great biblical stories, Jonah being one <laughs> that really resonated for me. But there's plenty of great scripture in there that people can mine yes. um, that yes. is really helpful. Uh, yeah, especially around the emotions. But you also you talk about Joseph's story and things as well in there. So there's lots of good yeah. nuggets uh, from scripture. Um, to be correlated with uh, with our practices yeah. as humans living today in the 21st century. Right. So I'm wondering, how are you cultivating hope today? And that could be today, this minute, this moment, these 24 hours, or today in general, however you want to interpret yeah. For me, cultivating hope means continuing with what I understand be my calling on a, a very private personal level up to uh, a community level and pursuing it, fighting for it without giving in, without uh, falling to those times when it appears that the fight is futile. And I'm not talking about optimism i think hope is is beyond optimism i think it's so i'm not you know like rose colored glasses looking at life but more saying i don't quite see it i don't see the how at the moment but somehow i know and i trust that this is going to get worked out and so i'm going to continue to work Towards that as best I know how, the way that God is leading me to do so. So, fighting, uh, fighting for justice at at every level, every interpretation of that. Uh, writing intentionally in a way that creates space, in a way that um, validates, in a way that gives permission and is freeing, instead of kind of this um, condescending or judging or shaming way that I think a lot of times is done. Uh, and, and for me, it's celebrating victories of all kinds that fill that kind of fill that hope bucket for myself so that when it's hard, when I'm in a dark place, when I'm in a challenging time, I can look and see Okay, you can have hope that God's going to show up in this because God has shown up in all of these other places in your life. Um, so there's no reason 
to think that for what, you know, that God wouldn't show up now. God has continued to show up and God will. And so I, I find that I have to do that personally in order to do that in, on larger spaces to cultivate hope for larger groups. Um, but there are times that speaking hope into a larger venue restores that hope for me, right? When, I, when I'm not feeling it within myself, speaking it to others can restore it then within me. That's a really deep concept. Can you, can you say that? Can you say a little bit more about that? Because I'm thinking there's probably people out there that are like, I'm an extrovert. I could be good for that. <laughs> Cause you know, that's <laughs> right. Like how do you, yeah. you know, cause I, I, I love this, the whole, like all the things you've just said about it. They really have that sense of tilling the soil of the cultivating. Right. And then yeah. what you're talking about now is kind of finding hope and having hope like rekindled almost or kindled from being engaged with people. Am yeah. I, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting, I think this is one of the reasons when people find out I'm an introvert are a little bit like, what? You are? Yeah. 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 Introvert with extrovert qualities, perhaps. Intro introvert <laughs> who can deal with extroverted moments. <laughs> well, you're I'll with an extreme way. extrovert, so I just want to say right. you're doing a great job. Yeah, it balances out. Um, but when we're done, I will right. then shut down. Um, so yeah, I, not in a fake it till you make it kind of way. But inevitably, as a chaplain, there are days that I have to step into people's, as a hospice, hospice chaplain, I have to step into people's end of life when I am not in a good place. Mm -hmm. And I have to check that at the door because they don't need that on top of what they're dealing with. And I have to step into their story and I have to speak hope into them for their last weeks, days, hour, moment, right? Sometimes in that in that last moment and speak hope to their family that is surrounding them. And I leave those situations in a more personally hope-filled place than when I walked into the room. So speaking it to them allows it to be returned to me um, I mean those are those are really holy moments that as a chaplain you know I and you know what those are you know what those moments are like mm -hmm. but being able to witness that mm -hmm. um, that's what I mean when I say that speaking it to others can remind me mm -hmm. that it's not only true for them mm -hmm. but it's it's true for me too even on the, even in the times that I don't necessarily feel it. I'm just thinking of that saying, right? You're blessed to be a blessing. And so just that circle of how we, on this human journey where we have these commonalities, right? You were talking about that, right? We're all yeah. going to die one day. That this, yeah. this concept of death is such a real thing and it's true for all of us. But that there is this kind of opportunity that we have to be in a cycle of life and of death and of hope together mm -hmm. and find strength from that. I love that. Yeah. It's powerful. 
God bless you, sister. That's an important work, that hospice chaplaincy, end-of-life chaplaincy, palliative chaplaincy um, is so important. And I can just imagine how much it really undergirded. I see why God was like, you must write this book. Yeah. Because yeah. all those experiences, just this little taste you've given us today, all those experiences are just have created such a, a foundation for you. Uh, wisdom, right? Wisdom and experience to be able to create this resource. Um, so this is the part in the interview when I ask my guests, is there a project or product that you're working on that you'd <laughs> like to share about? Uh, or that is part of your story? And so what's so beautiful is uh, you've been sharing about it from the get-go. As we started the interview, you, you shared you know, how God put it on your heart to do this and sort of gave us some perspective why. But just would love to create a little space for you to share anything else you want to tell us about this journey of writing the book, um, anything upcoming about the book, any of the experiences, you know, we we love it when authors come and tell us a little bit about like, how has it been to like, send it out into the world and see what comes back? How are people responding to it? So anything like that, that, that yeah. you want to share, we'd love to hear. Yeah, faith doesn't erase grief. When I set out to write it. I was trying to fill a void in the market, um, in the grief book market. <laughs> uh, what I had found, if there was a Christian book about grief, it was focused on heaven or it was a devotional type. Um, and, and again, rushing towards heaven. I wasn't finding anything that spoke responsibly about psychology and let people sit in the journey, however long they needed to be in the journey um, without just kind of, it's okay. They're in heaven. Everything's fine. Well, you know, and there's, there's truth there. Your person is in heaven. Not that we really know what that means, (laughs) but, but you are still here. Your world has been shaken and you have to figure out how to put it back together. Um, And so that's why I wrote the book. But I also wrote it intentionally interweaving scripture and psychology. There there are many branches of Christianity that uh, live kind of from a a scripture-only point of view. And, um, you know, therapy is based in scripture only. And... I wanted to take this, um, you know, dual degree that I have and put it to what I think is the most responsible and best use of it um, to show, look how, look at these examples scripture scripture gives us of people enacting their grief, living their emotions and, and wrestling. And, um, you know, I, one of the, one of my favorite reflections from the book is when I ask, what must Hannah have been doing to appear drunk, right? How must she have been praying to come across as drunk? And that, I mean, there's there's something there about that just shows how uh, in touch she was with her emotions and with pouring them out to the one person who could receive them and not judge her for them. Um, so uh, it was it was a really amazing process to let, I didn't map this book. I had a, a, 
a vague outline uh, to let the Spirit kind of guide the choice of the scriptures that were were used throughout the book. Um, I I propose three phases of grief. Um, phases are more fluid; they're more more open. Um, Kubler Ross is as beautiful as she is. Her work has been um, a little wrongly interpreted for a lot of years, and so I wanted to 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 break those those walls a little bit. Um, and so that third phase that I talk about is lasting grief and uh, was unsure what in the world I was going to use for that scripture wise. And um, the spirit delivered the disciples to me um, and the women. And, uh, you know, what comes out of their lasting grief is what we know as church today. Um, and, you know, what more beautiful transformation is there, I think. So, um, yeah, it's it's for helpers and for grievers alike, whether you are currently grieving um, or, you know, anticipating going into a season of grief, or if you are walking alongside someone who is grieving, it is it is for you. So it is, my, my publisher calls it a must-have for your mental health kit toolkit um yeah i think it's it's for anybody and everybody i have a uh, a bible study in the works a correlating bible study in the works so nice yeah that's so that's fantastic because i you know in the work that i do my day job uh as the visionary leader for women's transformation and leadership in the reformed church in america we have identified this need for um, to just raise biblical literacy around women's stories in the Bible. So when you're naming that, um, that story of lasting grief, that you're including the women, um, we know that women and men were both disciples of Jesus in terms of who was traveling around with him uh, and who witnessed his death and then his resurrection as well. Um, and just thinking about how important it is for us to be able to connect the holy text with our lives today and, you know, how is it relevant, right? I mean, this is critical for Christianity for future generations, right? I mean, right. so what you're doing is a gift to current people of the way, right? People on the journey, um, Christians on the journey. But also there's a future hope here that you're offering as people are wanting to engage with the Holy Text in relevant ways. And that's what this book is full of that. And now you're going to have this Bible study alongside it. Kate, that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm, I can't wait to see it because I have a feeling we're going to have to do a little <laughs> virtual <laughs> master class with the author. Uh, once That'd be amazing. Available. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. Great. Well, that's that's so fun. And um, so just tell us quickly, how do we, how do we, how do our listeners get a hold of this? book. Of course, I've got my copy. I know it magically showed up in my inbox because I had the <laughs> honor of providing a little um, little testimonial about it. Uh, but just, yeah, tell our, tell our listeners how they yeah. can get a copy of it. Yeah, it is on uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and bookshop.org. Um, Amazon and Barnes & Noble both have a Kindle and or Nook version available as well should that be your fancy um you know i i will just say 
uh, as a plug for the paperback, um, there is a little section at the end of each chapter called Paused for Whisperings, um, where I encourage people to reflect. And so, you know, if you get the paperback, you can do it right there in the book, should you desire to do so. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I had wanted to say something about that, but I just love the way you invited that. It's not just like notes. It's the space yeah. the springs. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Just that we're being attentive to the spirit as we're going right. through the process, right? As we're reading it. Wonderful. Absolutely. Well, fantastic. And then do you have a website that might let people know when you'll be doing upcoming events or when there might be other podcasts or just anything that you might have upcoming? Yes. Kate jmeyer.com m-e-y-e-r is uh, my version of meyer katejmeyer.com um if you subscribe there you get a monthly newsletter that really keeps you up to date um i i do work at keeping the website updated as well great Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for being here today for this gift to all of us, this beautiful book. I'm excited to see how God is going to continue to use it and to grow it and to get it into lots of people's hands. And so, so delighted that you could come onto the podcast today and share a little bit with our listeners so that they can be availed of this wonderful resource that you've created and also just hear your story and all of your um, your wisdom uh, in the in the area of lavish hope, resilience, yes. and overcoming. So thank you so much. It was fantastic to be with you today. Thank you. Thank you for having me and just for putting out this podcast with this theme, you know, hope, resiliency, overcoming. We need it. Yeah. We need it. And uh, I'm grateful that you're at the helm of it. Oh, amen. You know, it's something that God put on my heart, much like your book, in the middle of pandemic that, this is what people need. And I mean, we all need hope, right? And yeah. so the more that we can be engaged in it together, the better. So yeah. grateful we're on the journey together. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks yeah. again, Kate. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Lavish Hope Season 4. I hope my conversation with Kate has offered insights for what lavish hope, resilience, and overcoming can mean for your life's journey, as well as those around you. If you'd like to connect with Reverend Kate, she'd love to hear from you. Just to confirm, her website is katejmeyer.com. That's K-A-T-E-J-M-E-Y-E-R.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, find out about how to order her books, and learn about upcoming events. If you've enjoyed this Lavish Hope podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and reshare any place you're on social. You can also connect with me directly at ltesta at rca.org. This episode is brought to you by faithword.org, an online learning community where you'll find ideas for living out your faith, reflections on scripture and church, stories about how other Christians are following God's call, and resources to bring your own faith community along for the ride. The Lavish Hope Podcast is produced by Lorraine Parker, Grace Reuter, and Liz Testa with sound design by Garrett Steyer. We thank Reverend Anna Radcliffe most sincerely for her wonderful executive producing support in our first three seasons. Until next time, may you find ways to cultivate lavish hope and build resilience each and every day. God bless you.